on episode 573 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Ivor Cummins and discuss the science in health and nutrition. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 573. Have you decided you're ready to make a change? To reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Coach Allen. I'm an NASM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, performance enhancement, and fitness nutrition. A Precision Nutrition Level 1 coach, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA Level 2 online trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. You're right on that edge. You want to improve your health and fitness, but you just can't pull the trigger and stick with it. Some people call it a lack of motivation. Some people tell me they're just overwhelmed and don't know what to do or how to do it. Some tell me that there's just too much going on and they just can't do more with the time they have. And some tell me they can't afford to get help. I've been where you are and it sucks. If you're really honest with yourself, you know you need to improve your health and fitness, and you know time is not on your side. The slide of aging is pulling you down. This is something you need to do today. I'm here to help. Get on a free discovery call. On this call, we'll map out where you are and where you need to be. I'll tell you the very next step you need to take to make that happen. And that's all. I won't even offer coaching on this call because if you're going to stick with your excuses, coaching won't help. Book your complimentary call at 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. Invest 30 minutes with me, 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery, and figure out what you need to do to break through and find your way to the health and fitness you deserve. 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash discovery. Hey, Raz. How are things? Good, Alan. How are you today? Doing good. Little, little tired. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, um, you know, again, we, we told you guys this a lot. We we record this uh, a few weeks in advance, a couple weeks in advance, and so uh, this is a holiday here, the New Year's holiday, and so. Uh, we've made a decision this year to give our staff the time off. And I know I've talked about oh. doing that and, mm -hmm. and own, um, but it, it's quite a different thing when, you know, you've got 13 breakfast and you got three rooms to clean and, you know, this person wants to rent bikes and that person wants, needs this and then someone needs a ride there and some people have to be picked up there and then you have to wait for this couple to show up and you don't know when they're <laughs> here. And so it's just one of these move, 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 move. And then you finally get that opportunity to sit down and, and record and mm -hmm. I just take a nap. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. And then, yeah, and rolling through my head, it's like, okay, I got to get a bottle of water upstairs because they're about out there, you know, and then, you know, got to make sure that the, all the laundry that needs to be done, you know, the linens we pulled off of the beds and all that still gets done. And so, yeah, I've got a, a laundry list of about a dozen things in my head right now that oh, gosh. call that probably won't be a nap immediately. Oh. Uh, there probably will be a nap somewhere today. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> good plan. Yeah. How are things up there? Good. You know, we made it through Christmas, made it through New Year's. Now it's about getting back to schedule again. I miss having routines and schedules and just getting back to normal. My sleep's disrupted too. So I just feel wonky. <laughs> and, and I saw this insane, insane picture of, of you standing mm -hmm. in water in Michigan. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. And, uh, 
<laughs> on New Year's Day, our uh, fun run club organizes a polar plunge. And on the lake that we use, it was had a pretty good um, base of ice. In fact, it was kind of a struggle to chop through um, to make a little hole for us to do our little pl polar that's, plunge. That's <laughs> That's everything. Nature, God, everything saying don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's exhilarating. It really is. I look forward to it every year. I get really excited um, in December that this is coming up. And yes, it is super cold and a, there's a lot of screaming going on, <laughs> but it is really a lot of fun. And I just feel like it's um, it's like, uh, you know, washing off the bad luck of last year and and getting myself ready and prepared for the upcoming year. It just, it's kind of a, a great day and it's a lot of fun. So I, I have a completely different description of it, but uh, <laughs> myself. <laughs> well, well, truth be told, I am no stranger to ice baths. And as an endurance runner, I am known to take a, a, an ice bath with lots of ice in the bathtub after a run so i'm i'm no stranger to any of it um i enjoy it it's it is exhilarating it is a challenge but yeah it is it's also a lot of fun yeah and that's why you know when i say there's no one way to do any of this uh, <laughs> there's no one way and there's no that's way right. putting me in that uh, in that water but uh, yep I mean, Pensacola, I might have considered it, but oh, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that up there. For, <laughs> just like not having to peck through the ice to make it happen. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. It was a fun time. Well, good. Uh, yep. Conversation with Ivor. Sure. Our guest today is called the Fat Emperor because he dissected the science behind low fat and found it was based on nothing. Science did not support that way of eating. He is an engineer specializing in complex problem solving, and he has turned his attention towards nutrition and health science, peeling back the layers to find the truth. In many cases, the answer is contrary to what you've been told by the media and government. Today, we discuss some of that science and lack thereof. With no further ado, here's Ivor Cummins. Ivor, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Well, thanks a lot, Alan. Great to be here. You know, I'm I'm hyper ex excited. I mean, I'm like a little fanboy right here now because uh, I've heard you speak, <laughs> and it's 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 something else. And if if you can get out and listen to this guy, if you can get on his YouTube channel, uh, you you've got to go meet him because Ivor is a no nonsense, uh, data driven individual that um, he doesn't just take the headline. Uh, you you go in and you drill and uh, you learn a lot of interesting things. And I've learned a lot of interesting things by listening to you. Yeah, well, it's it, thanks, Alan. It's my background, really. I was a complex problem solver in corporate for, I don't know, a couple of decades leading teams. And it's always what I specialized in. So I don't dig into everything. Some things I judge they're not of huge value to understand more deeply. But it's like breadth and depth, as we used to say, breadth on capturing the full picture of any kind of topic or arena and then depth where necessary based on your skill and judgment to go into depth where there's there's value. Well, like I said, your, your YouTube channel is is pure gold. Um, the depth and the breadth there is is just fascinating. Um, I got caught up in that rabbit hole the other day while I was prepping for this interview and I just one video after the other. Um, and so I was the funny thing, I was watching one of your videos and you, you, you finished the video and I was, I, I was kind of piddling with something else and you know how YouTube will take you on to the next, um, the next video, just some other video. It wasn't yours. There was some newscast and they were talking about fusion energy and how someone might've cracked fusion energy. And I, so now I'm hooked on, and they, they knew I wanted to see this. So <laughs> they got me. Uh, but here was, th that's when it hit me. It's like, you know, we know what fusion energy is, what if you, if you know enough about science and you've studied it a little bit, uh, you know that what that is, and it's, there's a science, a hard science between what that is, how you define something like fusion. Um, why is it that when we do science around food and health, it, it never quite 
gets to that same level of science. Well, why is science not science when it comes to food and health? Oh, yeah, it's a big question. Well, I think, you know, the theoretical sciences and physics and mathematics have stayed pretty poor uh, or pure, I should say, not poor, pure. <laughs> and they've stuck with the scientific method of create a hypothesis and then seek to destroy the hypothesis, ideally, not just to support it with your cognitive or belief bias. Uh, and they've just stuck to science and they've been allowed to really because there's no mass market, particularly in in kind of fusion and theoretical physics. So they were allowed to continue, as we did for hundreds of years, uh, stick to the science. However, health and food are the two biggest markets uh, on the planet, basically. So the processed food industry is enormous, as you well know, and we've got this ownership model over the last 30 years where a few corporations own the whole lot. And that's just the way the world is. And then the health market, well, we've got Big Pharma and they have enormous funds and influence on medical training, doctor's training and funding studies and funding trials. So they bring all the money to direct the science. So I think that's a high level view. Uh, they've been co-opted. And, you know, with the FDA, the revolving door, the head of the FDA becomes the head of some pharma group and vice versa. So basically, industry capitalism has been very successful over particularly the last 40 or 50 years to essentially take over largely the science of both food, nutrition and uh, health, uh, not exercise per se. But then there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, grifters in exercise as well. You know, these are all big markets. And that's essentially the bottom line. They are huge markets. And there's no way they're going to be let just bumble along scientifically. So, you know, if, if I see a study and the headline reads uh, that you should be eating beets five times a day every day and only beets, um, <laughs> how? I mean, other than that just sounded absurd to say it out loud, but how would I know when I'm looking at a study that this isn't something that was just... I'm not going to say made up, but that there was a cognitive bias or there were confounders or there was something wrong with the science or the way they're describing the output. Yeah, well, the first thing is always the funding. I mean, the funding and the ideology. So many times you'll find with a study that seems odd and is in conflict with what you would expect. It may go back to a particular strong ideology like veganism or you know, a university associated with that or, or vegetarian leaning, or there could be a climate aspect to the funding. Or, of course, there could be food industry and pharma can be in there. So it doesn't prove that the study is bad. But if you get any, if your antennae go up at all, look to the authors, look them up uh, online, find out are they a particular extreme diet aficionado uh, and indeed where the funding's coming from. The other thing then are associational studies. If it's if it says appears that or seems that or uh, tracks with or all these kinds of clues and they don't actually say this is a proven thing, uh, it's often an associational study. So that's the basic correlation versus causation thing. So I give a quick <clears throat> example. We pretty much know because you can never know anything in for 100% in science, but we know that the factory seed oils, the vegetable oils, the heart healthy oils, we know they're not a good idea compared to real food. <laughs> However, for 40 or 50 years, the population has been screamed at to eat the vegetable oils and don't eat the natural saturated fats. So what's happened is over 50 years, the health focused people who are focused on their health tend to listen to the advice from the scientists and the health officials, right? So they tend to eat more vegetable oils. But what happens then is you've got a healthy user bias, i.e. after 40 years, you can look at the data and you can see some better health outcomes in the populations that eat a little more vegetable oils. And it's not because they're healthy. It's because for 40 years, you've kind of ruined the pitch. You've ruined the experiment. Because the healthier people who are worried about their health, who have better outcomes, well, they've tended to take more of the oils. 
Um, so that's just an example of confounding, extreme confounding in an associational or epidemiological study. But there are many more. People who eat more saturated fat, and it is related, they tend to not care about advice. They are shown again and again to have more smoking, more overweight, more bad habits of various sorts, lack of exercise. So you see these signals. But the author of the study is only looking for one message. In this case, healthy vegetable oils are healthy. We were right all along, honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way I the way I like to think about cause um, cause and uh, correlation is that you, if you go to a fire, there's a lot of firemen around. So if maybe it's the firemen that are starting the fire. Um, you know, that's not the case. It's just because the way we address fires, there's always going to be firemen at a fire. Um, and so you can't get rid of the firemen to think that that's what's going to get rid of the fire. Um, but, and it sounds again, kind of silly just when you say that kind of stuff out, out loud, but it, and sometimes when you're reading the studies, that's exactly what they're saying. You know, we see this thing here, therefore we know there's a problem. If we get rid of this thing, we won't have the problem. And it's not really the cause. Um, so let's talk, you, you, you dived into it a little bit. You started talking about veganism, vegetarian, and animal-based foods and saturated fat. Can you, I mean, you, you've, you've talked to a lot of people, you've done a lot of research in this area yourself digging, um, is, is animal based foods good for us or bad for us or in the middle somewhere, maybe. I don't <laughs> Yeah, well, so whole real natural foods that would be strongly associated with our evolution as a species, they are the best foods, they are the best diet, uh, unless you have weird, compelling data to say otherwise, right? It makes sense. And paleoanthropologists, almost to a man or a woman, Dr. Michael Eads, a good friend of mine, often has said this, and it's true, they will all acknowledge that Homo sapiens evolved right, by the scavenging uh, of animal carcasses. Now, we started off scavenging organ meats and even brain, etc., and we cracked open bones. The tools are all there in the record. Every human tribe going back to day dot. Uh, and then we moved on to hunting. We became more and more successful as hunters. And the one ancestor of humans, uh, Dr. Eads actually sent me this before that uh, debate I did, and it was beautiful. And it was from one of his talks I'd missed. And it showed that around a million years ago, there were these uh, striding kind of hominids, two-legged creatures that became us. And there were various branches and they found one dead end branch. And there was no reason for it at first that this, this branch had completely died off. And the other branch had gone on to become humans, the most successful species on the planet, you could say. And that branch actually was one where it stayed vegetarian. So, of course, it didn't have access to the nutrient density of meats and organ meats. It didn't trade off its digestive large stomach size to enable a huge brain calorie drain like we did. It just stayed more like an ape with a big stomach and the brain, nothing to write home about. So even there and in everything in the paleo or anthropological research and fossil records, all says again and again, this is how we got here. So there's that. And then when you look at the mechanistic, you say, okay, what's the nutrient density of meats and, and fish and eggs? And boom. It's got massive nutrient density and much more bioavailability of key proteins uh, than any plant food. Doesn't mean plant foods are no good. They carry minerals and vitamins and various proteins that you can convert. But the animal foods are clearly way ahead of the game. So without going into great detail, but I give an example, B12, you can have severe mental uh, illness from being low in B12. And it only comes from animal foods. I mean, duh, <laughs> there's a giveaway. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on. And um, you could go on and on, but all these other uh, components that are in animal foods and the fats match the fats of our, what our body makes our fat out of is mono and uh, saturated fat. That's what human bodies make for safe storage of energy. And that's what we get from animal foods, very well matched fat balance to what we are made of. 
So there's all of that mechanistic stuff and nutrients and bioavailability. That's a no-brainer. So now you've got the ancestral evolutionary, and it's basically almost like almost a proof in itself. It's hard to argue with. And then you've got what I just mentioned, including components and uh, DHA, EPA are another one that are almost, you can't get anywhere else, right? So then you say, wow, with these foods we evolved on, they have vastly higher nutrient density and even can contain nutrients that we actually need or we get very ill. And you put that together. And then at this stage, you're kind of there, right? Obviously, they're the healthful foods for, for those reasons. But the world, for ideological reasons, has spent definitely the last 40 years, particularly the last 10 years, and bringing in climate as well as an argument, right? Climate change. But going back to the Adventist church, and the huge industries they own, it goes back to the turn of the century and Harvey Kellogg, who perceived masturbation as sinful and quite rightly probably said, if we feed them gruel instead of meat, they'll be less, you know, active. And he actually had a point there in a sense. So carnal knowledge and even the Bible, you know, carna has all these negative associations for thousands of years, kings would tell the poor people, you know, meat is bad for you. You know, the, the top strata always indicated. The Bible said it. Vegetarian churches say it. All of these reasons that meat is bad are ideological or even worse. They're a power play of sorts, a feudalism. And, and that's all there is against meat. As an example, the big one, WHO, a few years ago, came out with a study and said meat is now a grade two carcinogen and processed meat is a grade one, I think. The data in that, they said we looked at a thousand studies and they kind of did. And none of them said that. But they used associational epidemiological data within them and maybe a mouse study to come to the conclusion that meets a carcinogen, which is de facto absurd. And that's the tip of the iceberg. There's a thousand studies now, all driven by ideology, whether climate, religious, or just general dietary ideologies. Yeah, the, the debate that you were talking about, that was with uh, Dr. Gregor. I've, I've had him on the show and he wrote his book, How, How Not to Die. Uh, it's actually, it's actually a, a, a good book. Um, and he goes into science in the book as he does with his uh, his normal uh, video, I guess it's a video cast, a podcast thing, well produced, uh, put together. But you're right; most of the studies that uh, he covers are are really one sided. And you know, I've had conversations with vegans, and I say, well, you know, let's we've got to talk about B12, and they're like, well. You know, yeah, you you might have to supplement with B12, but you know, carnivores have to supplement with statins. Uh <laughs> <laughs> talk about a false equivalence. Oh. Uh yeah, but you know, that's that's the conversation. And and you touched on something that I I really think is important because I have had vegans on the show, I've had carnivores on the show, I've had raw paleo i've had a vegan that was paleo, that was keto so i mean I, I i try to get a broad view of different people on the show so at least they can present their ideas in a fair location where i'm not going to beat them up for the way that they want to live and that they think others should um but it's whole food if if i ask a vegan why why do you feel like your diet is the best and they're like well it's a whole food plant based diet and i'm like okay and i ask a carnivore why do you feel like your diet's the best and it's a, it's a you know it's basically a whole food animal based diet and and so they they always go back to the this is a whole food diet and the and one of the reasons why that diet is bad is because they're eating all the processed crap and, uh, you know, and, and it's true. And so you look at some of the studies and you're like, well, if, if like the seventh Adventist you brought up, um, if they're following the doctrine of what their religion is, they would be vegan or vegetarian, but they go through the ranks and they say, okay, here's the people that aren't doing it. And here's the ones that are, and the ones that are doing it are healthier. 
but they don't factor in the, well, they also aren't supposed to smoke. So the ones that are doing it also aren't smoking, but those guys are, and you know, there are other risky behaviors. So they're all cause mortality is, is worse, but they never really pull that out. And I think that's what I really struggle with, with these studies is when they go in with that cognitive bias or, you know, worse financial bias, um, it, it just creates wonky science and someone will refer to that study forevermore in their study. So it was like, we know, we know cholesterol is bad therefore, and then they do their study to, to basically, and, and they draw a conclusion. And sometimes you're right. They do play with the words appears as if, or, you know, kind of thing, but uh, it just seems like it's really hard for people to know what to do to be healthy. And it's a shame that we can't depend on the government's uh, to step up and and do a little bit of house cleaning here. Yeah, the challenge is, Alan, so ideology, and again, I didn't say anything negative about them, and you can get along pretty well eating vegetables because you are giving up all the processed food, which is the real poison. Uh, my only angle was it's more optimum and better to get the nutrient density off the foods we primarily evolved on but I mean, homo sapiens are very ad adaptable and we were able to go long periods when there was very little game and we evolved to be able to handle quite a lot of pan plant food and a lack of animal foods for periods. But evolution didn't really plan for long, long periods and especially didn't plan for vegan, vegetarian, especially ovo lacto, you know, evolution well pre prepared us for that. But vegan, like you say, you need B12. And Dr. Joel Kahn, a good friend of mine, who's a hardcore vegan, he's in his 60s, looks great, and he's got a zero calcium scan in his 60s. But one reason is for 20 years, he's been imploring vegans to take a whole range of supplements. And he acknowledges and puts the hand up and doesn't try and pretend that the vegan diet is a complete diet. He's interested for ideological reasons, and he admits its ideology by saying, vegan guys, don't let our side down. You need to take these supplements. And that's why he's so healthy. But the funny thing is, Alan, even these, like Okinawa, everyone talks about Okinawans plant-based longevity. But the uh, people who reached 100 in Okinawa, I think it was five out of five or six out of six in one study, all of them were non-vegetarian. They were the, the cluster <laughs> that really went the distance. And the other thing is they went to Okinawa, and this is where all this stuff came from, in the early 50s after World War II. Half the population on the islands had been um, were dead. I mean, Okinawa, there was horrific stuff that went on there, as we know. But before the war, pork was highly prized. In fact, it's in their literature, their their culinary literature pork is at the center of okinawan dishes it's written in some old text and after the war they had no pigs for obvious reasons and within a few years they went up from i think they were before the war 110 pigs per thousand people it's pretty high density and they went up to 150 per per thousand people uh, by the late 50s and early 60s so they went back on track a pork-based diet, but you don't hear that. You hear yeah. just when they found them starving post-war with their whole infrastructure and their animals all dead. That's when they did the study, and that's the study here quoted. Yeah, that's the Ansel Keys seven-country study that there were 23 that countries. Well. <laughs> oh. And he picked from 22. Yeah, okay, he picked yeah. like six from 22 the first time, the six-country study, which was just toilet paper, and then he created the toilet paper pseudo experiment, 12,000 men, no women, seven countries picked from around 20. And he knew in advance, it's like an engineer who's cheating, right, to get a raise. Ansel knew the countries that would give him the outcome. I mean, it's so stupid, but he wanted the outcome because Ansel himself was in the grip of ideology. He was nowhere within a thousand miles of a scientist. He was an ideological person who had a grasp of scientific kind of stuff. And 
he was hugely influential and influential and he was a extremely capable uh, politician too he weaveled his way in everywhere and he destroyed the career of um Yudkin in the uk questioned his data and he went after Yudkin hardcore and uh, basically destroyed his career in a sense so that's the kind of man ansel keys was so it's not surprising that the science he produced was junk science yeah. And unfortunately, we, we still we still see that stuff happening today with with different things going on in the world. Uh, uh-huh. Pick us pick a side and then, you know, <laughs> fight to the death. Um, <laughs> it seems to be the the mode of operation for, for this. Now, uh, you mentioned Dr. Khan and um, I've read some of his stuff and and um, you had you've had a lot of other uh, notable heart health doctors on your show. If if someone's in their 40s, 50s, or older and wants to manage their heart health so that they can live a longer, happier life, what are the things that we could be doing to improve our overall heart health? Right. Okay, then, Alan. So we'll start at the top, and sometimes I and others get criticized that insulin, we say, is everything. It's like the one ring to rule them all. Now, we do emphasize insulin, but in a Pareto principle way, because it's the elephant in the room. It's the biggest factor, your insulin resistance in cardiac disease and um, Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. It's often referred to now. And even Parkinson's has been referred to by one or two specialists as potentially type 4 diabetes. And then we have type two, of course, uh, which has massive uh, impacts on shortening your life. So that's actual diabetes. And then we have type one diabetes Uh, and type zero diabetes. I used to jokingly refer to heart disease as type zero diabetes, because as Professor Joe Kraft, who I interviewed in Chicago, who tested 15,000 people for a five hour insulin glucose test, he said, let me think if I can just think of his quote. Those, um, those who, who are those who die of coronary disease who do not have diabetes are simply undiagnosed, and he was inferring that nearly all cardiac disease and vascular disease is essentially type two diabetes, whether diagnosed or not. Now I don't think he's correct on that, but the massive majority is. And a great example for people is the Euroaspire study done in Europe in two thousand and fifteen. And you should see the pie chart. I featured it many times. And this team went out, a large team, went across 24 countries of Europe. Think about it. Looked at heart disease uh, victims or patients ages 18 to 80. So looked at all ages, not just old people who tend to get it. And they basically checked their blood glucose in detail. And they found out straight away, shockingly, that around a third of them were type two diabetic on their medical record. And they thought, whoa, they didn't expect to find a full third of them. But then they looked at their glucose and uh, post um, glucose load glucose readings. And they realized another quarter were full blown type two undiagnosed. But then another quarter were high risk for type two diabetes, they called it, but they were type two diabetic. They just didn't quite reach the very high bar to be full-blown. So essentially, three-quarters, roughly, of all the heart disease patients across Europe, 24 countries, ages 18 to 80, as a huge supergroup, three-quarters were type 2 diabetic. I mean, come on. (laughs) So Kraft was very close. And if you measured their insulin, and this team did not, sadly, but if they did a Kraft test, myself, Dr. Gerber, and, and Professor Noakes, and everyone in our community reckons probably 85 plus percent would be essentially physiologically diabetic. So heart disease, first thing you do is minimize your insulin resistance, get insulin sensitive. And and that's that's through diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. Diet is 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 enormous in insulin resistance. Uh, but funny things are sleep and stress. They've done studies that if People are stressed, their insulin goes way up. Uh, Deny people sleep for a couple of weeks, their insulin resistance can double. Smoking massively pushes up your insulin. It's one of the mechanisms of damage. 
And if you give up smoking, your insulin resistance falls sharply, even pollution, and of course, lack of exercise. And we would say myself and Dr. Gerber or Dr. Ted Naiman or Ben Bocchio, all the people in our network, stress training, pushing to failure with weights and body weight exercise, maybe 20 minutes, twice, three times a week, a lot more bang for the book than cardiometabolic exercise running. But that has its place too. So exercise, food, food, the big thing is to take out Satan's triad. That's what I call it. Sugar, <laughs> refined carbs, refined grains, refined wheats, all these powdered carbohydrates and vegetable oils, seed oils, inflammatory, seriously problematic. Those three things together, devil's triad. What are most calories in ultra processed food? which makes up 80% of the supermarket made up of, they're made up of the devil's triad. You don't have to look far here to see the reason for chronic disease. UK, British Medical Journal a few years ago, over 60% of all UK calories consumed now come from ultra-processed foods, which are mostly the devil's triad. I mean, everyone, most everyone, is pouring large calorie quantities of kind of poisonous foods into themselves. It'd be amazing if we didn't have a tsunami of chronic disease. It would be astonishing. Cut out the devil's triad, cut out ultra-processed food, and whether you're vegetable-leaning or you're a carnivore or omnivore, like we said earlier, you said, Alan, you cut out all the ultra-processed foods and just eat real foods and maybe watch some supplementation as well. Magnesium is very low in modern foods and there's some more. You do that. You're miles ahead of the game. Add in fasting and some stress training. Doesn't have to be huge. You got this synergistic. You, you put yourself vastly ahead of the risk of the average person today. Yeah, thank you for that. I, you know, again, it's <laughs> it's been such a struggle. Uh, you did mention something earlier that I wanted to circle back around when you're talking about Dr. Khan and his um, his uh, calcium score. Could you talk a little bit about what a calcium score is and how we would go about getting one? Right. Well, that's I spent many years massively pushing the calcium score, uh, partly because my sponsor, one of Ireland's richest men, he got a huge score and he was slim, fit, running four times a week, 52 years old. And he got a score of a thousand, which is enormous. And he had three nearly fully blocked arteries, the main ones. So he got such a shock, he explored and he found out what the calcium score was all about because that's how he found out. They told him he was super healthy for years in executive medicals. Then he got one calcium scan, he found out he was destroyed inside. And then he personally found out, unsurprisingly, a few weeks later, not the doctors, he found out he was type 2 diabetic because he got a blood glucose meter and he began to hear from William Davis, MD and others checked his glucose, and it was five times normal after each meal. So that was David Bobbitt. Great work he's done. And he made the Widowmaker movie. And I'll give you the link to the one-hour version on YouTube I put up. He spent $2 million to make this movie to tell people about the calcium scan. And the bottom line, Alan, is if you get a calcium scan, the score from that scan alone, single-handedly, is much more predictive of risk than all of the blood and the risk factors put together in Framingham and in the algorithms. Essentially, that score is more accurate predicting your future, though you can change it, get a high score, you can fix the problem. That's key to note. But it's more predictive than all the risk factors put together. Put together. So if you get a score of zero in middle age, your chance of a heart attack or mortality is so low, they actually call it a warranty. Now, a warranty doesn't mean 0%. <laughs> yeah. It means extremely low. You got a warrant. Fridge is a warranty. Very seldom fails. So you might have a half a percent chance or 1.2% of a heart event in the next 10 years. But the guys with the high scores like David Bobbitt's have up on 30% chance. You could have 20 plus times the risk of a heart attack, even though you got the same cholesterol as the guy beside you, because you have the disease, the calcium in the arteries. It is unequivocal. 
calcium in your arteries is the direct proof and extent of vascular disease up till the day you get the scan. It's the scars in all your arteries where your body is trying to fix your arteries from atherosclerosis, the problem that causes heart attacks. So it's amazing. Where you get it, if you go to ihda.ie, so it's Irish Heart Disease Awareness.ie, there's the scan centers there. And we, over a year or two, developed a map of America, UK, and Ireland. Hard to get Europe, where all the centers are and their phone numbers. But in the US, you can get it from as low as 69 bucks up to 200 bucks. Sometimes insurance covers it. In Europe, it's quite a bit more expensive, maybe 350 bucks on average. So, yeah, if you have a family history of heart disease or you know that there's a likelihood, um, you know, you're overweight, you're over 40, um, you, you've got the risk factors. It's worth having that test done. So thank you for sharing that. If someone, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I jumped ahead. Um, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Okay, and we probably touched on, on quite a few of them. I'd have to say, number one, and it ain't easy, and I commiserate with people, and I cheat sometimes too. Shocking to hear it. It's Christmas now, maybe a little, but I'm generally pretty good. Cut out the devil's triad enormously. And that does mean if you're going to get something in the supermarket, look in the back of it. Mayonnaise, 78% of it is rapeseed oil. It's vegetable oil. Imagine 80% of your mayonnaise. I checked. You can get these meals. You look in the back, you see added wheats and, and you know, on the ingredients list, the things up the top of the ingredients list, at least in Europe, are, are the biggest uh, components. It's the so same in the United see, States, yeah. Yeah. So you see up in the first few, you see wheat, you see vegetable oils or any kind of vegetable oil. There's 50 names for them. That's bad. But you can get ready meals, convenience meals that are essentially a dinner in a foil tray in Ireland. It's just got meat, potatoes, carrots, and maybe a little bit of sugar. So you can get convenience food. That's okay. But the lesson is always say, is this real food? Is it nutrient dense? Is it not processed with wheats, refined grains, vegetable oils, and sugars? Uh, that's the biggest thing. I put diet first. The second biggest thing, I would say, of course, exercise is important. And I've gotten pretty sloppy over lockdown when I began to do very little exercise. I was working seven days a week in the office. I got kind of involved in a lot of challenging work, should we say. But exercise, since I brought it back, and it's only really working on DIY and, and kind of house improvement, but working hard at it when I do it, even that has brought me back into a much you know, healthier and better sleeping mode. And I got an exercise bike as well. I'm going to start using. So exercise, but as Ben Bacocchio and, and Dr. Ted Naiman and all of us say, just do the body weight exercises, press up on press ups until failure, where you just can't do another one and your arms are screaming. Do two rounds of that, two rounds of sit-ups, two rounds of pull-ups. Always go till the muscles can't do anymore. There's no danger. There's no harm to your body, but it triggers more muscle growth. And that's a glucose sink. And that is just the healthiest thing you can get. Muscle growth is your age. So exercise, particularly those resistance training exercises. Third thing then, I'd say I'm more and more focused on sleep. I have a whoop device now and it keeps me honest. So every morning, you know, if I've had a good day, I go to bed on time. I don't have a few drinks. I get this great report in the morning from my whoop and it keeps me on track. If I do the bad thing, you know, I get this nasty report and it's never <laughs> wrong. So I find it guides me and the joy of getting a good sleep and then looking up your results. And indeed you had good deep sleep. You had good REM. You had highly recovery prone sleep and you got a high green recovery. I kind of run my life by this now. So I'd say sleep quality and managing stress. I know it's not easy. Stress is a killer, raises your cortisol, raises your insulin, eats away at your body, even undermines your immune system. 
So if you can get sleep, stress as the third thing sorted and good food and good exercise will actually deliver the benefits in good sleep and reduce stress. So they're very much integrated together. Thank you. Well, Ira, if someone wanted to learn more about you and the work that you're doing, where would you like for me to send them? Oh, right. I'd say if you just Google or search my name, I for Cummins, you'll quickly hit my YouTube, which is where a lot of the stuff is. And also my Twitter, I'm quite active on Twitter. And since the shadow banning stopped recently with Musk, uh, suddenly my followers are growing again. I was perceived as questioning uh, medical science at times, sadly. But uh, I'm back on track. So Twitter is a good place. Often share reports, have technical arguments. And uh, they're the main ones. And my pin tweet at the moment, actually, and I think I'll leave it there, is linked to one of our latest conferences with 14 stunning speakers. And the whole package is available there of the 14 talks and the Q&As, which I moderated for every speaker. So that package is like, I don't know, 12 hours of pure gold. And if you watch that package, I think it's 29 books or something. I don't know. You know, it's just astonishing what all of our best guys have come out with in their talks. It's amazing. And the Q&As are revelatory as well, because we brought in uh, people and they asked their questions. And myself and the speaker in each instance uh, had that discussion. So all of that's in there. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Well, delighted to be here, Alan. And uh, yeah, look forward to being back again. Great stuff. Thank you. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. That was a really fun interview. I can see why you enjoy talking with Ivor. He's got a lot of a wealth of information about all of the studies that get thrown around in our community, in our health and fitness community. So it's interesting to, to hear him analyze them and, and get to the real meat of some of those studies. Yeah, it was, it was funny because like I said, I, I, was, I was at Keto Fest and I was finishing up my talk. And as normal for when you do a talk, uh, mm -hmm. there are people who are going to come up after and want to ask you questions and just, you know, say hello or shake your hand, that kind of thing. And so I'm shaking hands, trying to answer questions. And I'm like the best I can to throw out one word answers so that I can, <laughs> I can go see. <laughs> oh. And he was due to start. And I was like, okay, I want to get over there. I want to get over there, you know, um, they, they shortened mine. I got squeezed that year. And so my talk was supposed to be an hour and they ran late on the one before because they were having um, issues. And so I was told when I walked up to the stage, I'm like, you're really only going to have about 35 minutes. Oh. And I'm like, okay, I'll get it done. But that also <laughs> meant that I didn't get done early and wasn't really able to do any Q&A. That, that was one of the things I ended up cutting out of that that talk. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of people walking up asking questions and I, but that's cool. I got there. He wasn't, he wasn't too far in, but you know, he's, he's got this slide and diagram and I'm like, okay. And then he's talking and I'm like this, you know, it's like drinking out of a fire hose and he's just throwing <laughs> on the screen. And it, it's just so cool. If you're, if you're geek out about some of this stuff, go, go find his YouTube channel and, um, you know, uh, prepare to spend a few hours there because it's, um, it's good stuff. He he just he does his homework. He knows what's mm -hmm. going on, uh, and yeah, his his talk with Dr. Greger, uh, you know, it was a it was kind of a TV debate. I don't think mm -hmm. it was set up exactly fair. Ivor is going to come in prepared three times, you know, to Sunday, and and I think you know Greger was Dr. Greger, who you know I respect it as well because uh, he has his his thought beliefs and his his biases and his data, and he goes at it. Um, I don't think he expected a debate. I think he just expected, and he didn't probably expect that the news anchor was going to actually sort of be almost unbiased, or at least acknowledge when Ivor brought up data that there, you know, that well, that you know, of course, Gregor, you can explain that why that doesn't make any sense, um, mm -hmm. and he, he he couldn't. I mean, you know, Ivor was right, um, as as he mostly is. Um, you know, but it was, it, it was, it was great to be able to just talk to him, pick his brain a little bit. I'm, I'm definitely going to yeah. get him on the show again, because it's just, oh, good. yeah. And the people he, he talks to, they respect him as well. Cause they see him on the stage and realize, okay, this is a guy who gets it. 
And so they're going to come on his YouTube and on his, his channel and have those conversations with him. And that's who he's you know traveling with when he's doing the speaking circuit. And so he's he's just he's got all the connections. He knows all the people. And it's just great conversation. That's awesome. That is awesome. And it's nice. You know, it was interesting to hear you, you point out the, the biases that are often behind the studies. And I, and I the reason why that's interesting to me is because we don't hear that we get the news clipping or the the news story that says the study just says coffee is good for you or fat animal fat's bad for you but you don't get the behind the scenes stuff that um that ivor was able to to talk about and like the ansel key study we've talked about that study in the past it's just one example of a study with some cherry picked data then you've got lobbyists involved that are pushing you know different food groups or something or you know and so it's hard to know like you had said, there's a lack of science in food science. Yeah, well, it's hard. the problem the problem is that, well, well one, uh, pretty much any time they've tried to do a food study the right way, mm -hmm. they've had to stop the food study. Um, and, and the reason, the reason and, and a lot of other studies, because what happens is they have one group eat one way or do one thing, and they have another mm -hmm. group with something an entirely different way. And one of them starts really having problems. And, and then they're like, well, we can't, you know, we can't in good conscience uh, with ethics continue this study. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're killing people. Um, <laughs> That's not good. So what they end up doing is they say, okay, well, you know, tell me, Rachel, how many times did you eat meat in the last month? Hmm, let me uh, you think. know, <laughs> <Let me> think, <laughs> right. Um, right. And they're like, okay, you know, how many times per week do you eat meat? What kind of, and then it's like, so you eat red meat and processed meat. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't ask, did you eat meat? Do you eat processed meat? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I might say, I don't really eat that much processed meat, you know, I, yeah, mm -hmm. deli slices of ham and, 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 and beef, but other than that, not a lot. And I don't eat a lot of bacon, even though, you know, I'm on the keto spectrum of eating most of the time. I'm not a big mm -hmm. bacon person. I actually had a half a slice of bacon this morning. Wow. You know, yeah. <laughs> That's <tomorrow>. willpower. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that was the only piece of stuff and I didn't want to cook. Oh, geez. Because uh, we just made breakfast for 13 people. But, oh, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't going to throw that out uh, or feed that to the dog. Um, right. <laughs> oh my but, um, you know, it's just it's just that thing of, OK, uh, if they have a bias, they they can't help but structure the science to work the way they want it to. And even mm -hmm. if they're right, there's still a likelihood that the data might not be as conclusive as they'd like it to be, which mm -hmm. is the worst for scientists to sit there and have a hypothesis and then do the study and mm -hmm. have zero effects, you know, right. to basically say they can't find a, even a correlation. Uh, mm -hmm. They couldn't prove causation necessarily, but they, they couldn't even find a correlation mm -hmm. either way or the other, you know? And so as they're looking at it from that statistical perspective, the study is basically worthless. Mm -hmm. in their minds because they had a hypothesis and they can't prove or disprove that hypothesis. And that's normally how science works. Mm -hmm. you know, they try to prove something either, either is going to happen or not happen based on what they did. You know, you add blue water to yellow water and you get green. That's the hypothesis, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, mm -hmm. and then it, it kind of depends, right? How much blue water did you pour in and how much yellow water did you pour in? And, mm -hmm. and is it still green or is it blue? Uh, you know, and, and see, so there's even some judgment in there as far as how all that's going to work. And that's a simple thing, you know, that, that's pretty simple. But when you're asking people what they ate, how much they ate going back 20 years. Oh gosh, yeah, it's and impossible. And then, you know, again, of course, if someone is really not eating well, uh, they're probably also not doing other things so well so they're probably not exercising as much they might be doing other things like overusing alcohol maybe using tobacco maybe using other things mm -hmm. um, they may be you know have very stressful jobs they might not sleep very well and mm -hmm. so you know you you there's really a it's really hard to pull all those confounders out there because you're not going to find that one person that eats processed meat but exercises every day doesn't smoke doesn't drink sleeps well has no stress but eats processed meat 
to find out if processed meat causes colorectal cancer. You're not going to find enough of those people to do that. Right, right. Well, it's almost impossible to set up a study like that. But yeah. you know what we have found in our in real life, Alan, you and I have both seen and, and heard stories where people pick up a vegetarian or vegan diet and suddenly they lose a lot of weight. Or in, in my world, I've some of us have done the keto diet and we've lost a lot of weight. But even even then, it's 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 not about choosing a diet eating plant-based, eating animal-based. It's the fact that we're eating real foods, foods that were obviously grown on a vine or, or harvested somehow in nature or a farm, and it's not processed foods. And I think that's where people find the success. So, you know, right now it's, it's January, it's the beginning of the year, we're changing our diets and everything. And so sure, we want to, maybe some of us have a, a, a goal to eat better. And so we're going to say, well, we're going to eat these healthier food items, but we're getting rid of the processed food. And it's really that one thing that gives us the greatest benefit is switching from the processed foods, the, you know, the cereals and granola bars and, and things that are in a jar or a bag, like you say, and, and choosing an apple or a salad or, you know, a chicken or something like that. You know, I mean, real foods. Yeah, and and, the, and the, the the basis of it is this: uh, processed foods are made to be delicious, yeah. uh, not made to be <laughs> nutritious. Right. So they're calorie dense, nutritionally weak, whereas whole food tends to be nutritious. It mm -hmm. tends to be nutritionally dense and calorie weak, and so you eat to satiety with whole food. You're not going to gain weight. And you'll probably lose weight if you're mm -hmm. overweight. If you eat a processed food diet, you're very likely to continue to gain weight because you're just not getting the nutrition you need and you're getting more calories than you need. Mm -hmm. And it's just the basic math of calories in, calories out. It's a pretty mm -hmm. simple thing, but it goes down to the hormones because once you tell your body, this is real, I mean, you're giving your body real food. Okay, let's, let's, mm -hmm. let's just be clear about that. There is no pie tree. There's no muffin tree. You know, <laughs> don't see all of these, you know, little Debbie cakes on the prairie, you know, mm -hmm. around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just don't. Uh, mm -hmm. So if we're consuming those things, we're not getting nutrition. Uh, right. You know, and so when they talk about the nutrition from plants, what we know is when a cow eats is grass fed. They have a mm -hmm. better fat disposition than a cow who is not. That's grain fed. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. The fats in the cow of a grass fed cow are healthier for us than for a grain fed cow. Uh, the grain fed cow will taste great. Uh, it's fattened up for just for that purpose. Uh, they'll mm -hmm. get it perfect. That's a formula. That's what they do. Uh, not that the cow is healthy but they can make it taste great. That's, that's mm -hmm. what companies do. So you'll eat more. Um, and they're able to price it at, at an affordable price because of the volume right. they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, this is what this is really about is realizing that every guest that I've had on here, we talk about, when we talk about nutrition, you, you've not heard a single one of them say that they think that the Twinkie diet or the McDonald's diet or the <laughs> is okay because that uh -huh. you now they'll acknowledge you can undereat with those diets, but you can't sustain that. So the yeah. person that loses, uh, you know, the pounds with the Twinkie diet, or like uh, what's his name, Jim uh, uh, Penn uh, Gillette, the, mm -hmm. the uh, comedian, um, mm -hmm. magician guy. Uh, yeah, he did a potato diet. He ate potatoes until he lost the weight, and he oh. got sick of potatoes. He just stopped eating. That's what happened. Uh, so the point being is that he just is, you know, his dietitian said, just eat potatoes. You'll get sick of potatoes and you'll stop eating. Um, and he did that till he lost the weight. Um, and he's mm -hmm. kept it off, which means that he's probably also learned a couple other things. But, he, you know, mm -hmm. at the same time, what he could have done was just said, okay, I'm going to go back to eating whole food. And he probably would have had the same results and been healthier for it. Sure. Um, it's an investment. And it's yep. an investment of time getting to know where your food's coming from. I know no one likes to know how the sausage is made. 
<laughs> True. But you start looking at industrial farming and you start looking at where, you know, you go into the grocery store and you're picking up those eggs, you're picking up the chicken and, you know, chickens don't have three pound breasts. Mm. They just not that big. They're not that big. <laughs> <laughs> no you know uh we have dolly parton chickens now uh, and it's you know it's because the hormones and they've been bred a certain way uh, they're not healthy happy animals uh they can't mm -hmm. walk they can't do anything they're just they're, they're bred and, and grown and, and 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 nurtured to do a certain thing and it's just not the right way um right. you want happy healthy animals and they make for happy healthy humans Yep. Uh, whether you choose to be plant-based or animal-based or a mix, um, mm -hmm. just know where it's coming from. Just know what you're eating um, and and start making better choices. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Just start right. making little better choices and they add up. They add up fast. Yep. That's exactly what I say. Yep. Small steps. Make some changes. Uh, when you see that headline that tells you something, mm -hmm. uh, Question, question, question. A new, new study says. <laughs> Beware of those words. Yeah. And look carefully new, into new it. study says, you know, um, this. And, and, and you're, you're listening, you're reading it, and you're like, well, that's the exact opposite of what they told me last year. That's exact opposite of what I've always known. You know, and we can look at a lot of stuff that's happened in the last few years um, about food and other health science. And it's like, they're telling you something and it's like, well, wait, that's not how I was. I mean, we talked about this in biology in mm -hmm. school, and this is not how it was taught. So what's different? Right. And somehow or another, the doctors are, you know, the experts are trying to tell us this is different. Um, it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> uh, they just yeah. wanted it to be different because they wanted us to be a do a certain thing. So they had a bias behind why they said what they said. They had a bias behind how they planned and did the study and they got a result, they presented the result and then the media ran with the headline. And so just yep. be careful when you see a headline and they say, oh, but this is, this is science. Mm -hmm. uh, just be leery that some science is not science. And that's particularly right. true in the health and nutrition space. So yeah. you don't need jerk to sit there and say, oh, I need to start taking 10,000 IUs of vitamin D every day uh, to help my immune system. And the short answer is you, you might not. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you might need some, uh, but you won't know till you go get a blood test. So just right. because the study said people who took vitamin D were less likely to suffer from this thing, that doesn't mean that that study was even done on you. What it could have been, <laughs> could have been three high school kids that they gave vitamin D to. And guess what? None of them died in three years. Um, <laughs> um, you know, so vitamin D helps you live longer. Um, you know, uh, and, and that's, that's the reality. Their, their control case, two of them got an automobile accident and died. So, you know, of the six people in this piece, all cause mortality, uh, two thirds of them died, not taking vitamin D. Um, and here in this one, all cause mortality, all three of them are still alive. So yeah. vitamin D keeps you from getting in car crashes is, is the oh. actual conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, these studies. But that's but that's sometimes how this is structured and how mm -hmm. it's interpreted. You know, they're going to use words that are confusing, like all-cause mortality, instead of actually saying heart disease, cancer, mm -hmm. diabetes, Alzheimer's. Instead of really getting to it, they'll use the term all-cause mortality. Bing. I mean, right there, should have bright light on that. Okay, what does that mean, and how did these people pass? Mm -hmm. And the data has it, the data, you know, get into the data. And that's what Ivor does. He digs yeah. into the data and says, oh, they were dying of automobile accidents. So what you found was vitamin D keeps people from having automobile accidents, um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, and, and, you know, but I'm not saying that vitamin D doesn't, uh, yeah. I'm just saying that if you don't set the study up right and you don't interpret the data right, and you want to change the way the conclusion is worded to give you the result that you were looking for, they do it. They do it all the time mm -hmm. based on who they're funded by, based on what their bias was. Right. And, and you just have to be careful. Well, I appreciate having people like 
Ivor looking into stuff like yeah. If, if, you, if you never get a chance to go to a conference or catch up with his YouTube, it's it's well worth the time and money. Awesome. All right, Rats. Well, um, let's let's talk again next week. All right. Take care. You too. Next time on the Forty Plus Fitness Podcast, we discuss how our feelings and emotions might be keeping us from losing weight. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.